Hi, and thanks for joining us on the ProGrace podcast, where we're having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley. I lead an organization called ProGrace, and our hope with putting this podcast out there is that as we take the risk to have honest and non-political discussions about this important issue, that you will be inspired to do the same. So today, I've just flown into New York City. I'm here in Chelsea with Denise Stein, co-leader of ProGrace. Good to have you back. I have no funny stories about you today (laughs) yet. We haven't been in New York long enough. Uh That'll come. Good, good, good. And Jonathan Merritt. Hi. It's so good to be with you. It's so great to meet you and then record a podcast about an easy topic. (laughs) Yeah, right. Do you have any funny stories about me? Because (laughs) that could could get awkward. Maybe we'll get some during this podcast. Maybe we'll create some. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the funny story is how gracious you are to have this conversation and how we met. So I shamelessly, is it shamelessly? No, it's not. That is the correct use of that term. (laughs) However, I do not consider it shameless. No. That my daughter is dating a friend of yours. Mm -hmm. And I said, ooh, I think Jonathan Merritt would have a lot of great things to say. I think Jonathan Merritt would love to be on yeah. a Progress uh-huh. podcast. It was I was thinking of you yeah. when I connected. It you. made me a little nervous. Okay, let's talk. Uh, I'll let's say start it made me that. nervous. Let's start with that. It made Why? me nervous because, uh, I, I, and I'll say this, uh, particularly in the church, but I think this is a cultural uh, phenomenon, is that uh, white men tend to believe that their voices are equally important with all other voices on all other issues. And uh, you find that it's worse, I think, within the church. You know, I mean, can you imagine someone wanting to have a debate about lemons who'd never eaten a lemon? Right. Um, Or what you will not see in the churches, you will not see women holding conferences about masculinity. Mm. You will not see black people talking to white people about whiteness mm. in that way, right. Right? right? But you do find that white people tend to think they're the authorities yes. on every other experience. And for yeah. me, that's a little disconcerting. And, mm. and I feel very conflicted on this issue and a lot of other issues about how to use my voice, frankly, because on the one hand, what I don't want to do is abdicate my responsibility <laughs> to to speak as a white man who has a certain level of privilege and power and to use my voice in a way that's responsible. I don't want to place the responsibility for these conversations on other people's shoulders mm-hmm. exclusively. And at the same time, I want people who who have a, a true sense of what it, what an ex, what an, the experience yes. of, of of being a woman mm-hmm. and being pregnant mm-hmm. and making these difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. I want them to have the ability to bring their authentic self first and not speak over them. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say thank you from <coughs> Christian women everywhere that um, you know those of us who have heard things said where men didn't mean them to be insensitive, but they came across insensitive. We just really appreciate you coming from that yeah. place mm-hmm. and want yeah. you to feel the, f- and this is part of these conversations, right? We want to all have the freedom to have them mm-hmm. knowing we're going to make mistakes. So yeah. I think starting from that humble place yeah. of I'm not a woman, I haven't had this happen, but I want to enter in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of grace for right. that. And actually my response was, I felt a little sadness when you said that because Pregnancy does involve men and women, and I think you're somewhat responding to sort of a cultural narrative with everything that's gone on around this issue that men don't have a voice or shouldn't Mm -hmm. or aren't able to 
speak into it because they're not the ones that are pregnant and they're not the ones mm-hmm. making quote unquote the choice. But yet the way God created it, it does involve men and women. And I think that's part of the separation that we need to, mm-hmm. we need to bring back together. But I even get, and I know you, I know what you mean. And I even get nervous hearing you say that. So th- it's oh. a really tough yeah. thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because of this, because of, uh, part of my journey is I remember hearing a white man on TV pontificating on the pro-life position. I was there with my dad, and this guy was probably my dad's age, and he was so angry. And then the woman giving the pro-choice position was just kinder, and it felt like she understood mm. me more. And I may have had moral beliefs, maybe closer to the man at the time, but he, I got so angry. Mm. There was something within yeah. me responding to a, a man an older white man speaking into yeah. this. So I get nervous too, well, then even though I, I agree this. with you. Well, then I love this because we have to find a way yeah. for the, for men to have the right kind of voice so women don't feel isolated and alone. But again, the right kind of voice. Yeah. Yes. I appreciate your sensitivity. And every that. time a man, it seems to me, every time particularly pro-life men open their mouths mm. when it comes to this issue, it always ends in a period and yeah. never a question mark. Mm. No, that's good. And that's a problem. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, there's there is men in men often in these conversations enter in with a perspective mm-hmm. and they have one job which is apologetics mm-hmm. right I'm right you're wrong I'll convince you why you're wrong and I'm right and you can change your mind where I think when you have such a chasm of experience of difference to be able to say what is it like yes. to be a woman who's mm-hmm. making this decision yes. most pro-life men I know have never taken the time to even ask what goes into that. And so you come with your opinion and it's like a a club, right? It's it's got a blunt edge. Mm -hmm. And I think that these, that sensitive conversations have to begin with curiosity. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of issues like this in the church, whether it's sexuality, race. I think that, that, that there needs to be a level of humility, understanding, and even curiosity Mm -hmm. that should precede the development of our opinions and oftentimes it doesn't. And I guess what I, what I feel is, is, is like, what does it mean for me to use my vote, my voice in a way that is authentic and responsible without becoming the caricature of the people yeah. that I have seen enter in this. Oh, I love so that. Often. I just love so that good. you're even thinking that way. Cause that that's what we need so desperately. Well, and asking questions first. So, you know, in, in this journey, we've studied the gospels a lot and it's amazing how often you see the posture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He stops, yes. takes a breath. He asks a question. He gets to know someone. And we'd like to see that brought mm-hmm. back more to the forefront of the church in conversation. And I don't know if you're seeing anywhere where that's happening or have good ideas for us because that's how I changed. Mm-hmm. I changed by hearing people talk about this, either how they had um, had Christians talk to them or interact with them or a woman who'd been pregnant. Mm-hmm. I had no idea either until I listened. But we don't, we don't tend to do that. No. Well, yeah. and no, I don't know if you're seeing any place no, that and, is doing and that well. Or you, you're place. already hinting. I mean, I, I, I wish I had the numbers on hand because I wrote this down recently, but l- there, there are numbers out there and you could probably Google it where Jesus was asked, I think, a hundred and something questions and answered like 12 of them. Yeah. And then in turn, he asked like, say, 48 questions of his own, mm-hmm. that Jesus's dialogue was often question centric. Yeah. Right. And we're not that. Right. 
Um, you know, we hear of, we hear uh, information in snippets and sound bites often because yeah. that's the way that information comes to us. Nobody's reading six hundred word tomes on on abortion anymore. There, I've never read a tome in my life. I yeah. don't even sure know what, know what a that tome is. is. Right? Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. They're not reading these giant <laughs> volumes. They're not even taking the time to sit down and have a conversation for an hour right. with a woman. Right. I, I I will tell you this year, I had two friends who who uh, got abortions. Okay. Uh, one lives in the city, one does not live in the city, used to live in the city. And both of them came to me, and I don't know why uh, they came to me, because they also both know that I'm a Christian. Yeah. I have ideas on why they came to you, remind, but yes, okay. keep, keep going. With this and I, I had, I had uh, honest and conflicted conversations. Mm-hmm. One, I, I, I honestly didn't know what to tell her to do. Mm-hmm. And the other one um was far enough along that I felt very strongly that she should she should keep the baby mm-hmm. and and yet uh, I wanted to be loving and supportive mm-hmm. of her decision so I could say hey I can tell you like theoretically mm-hmm. here are some thoughts that I'm having and yet whatever you decide yeah. I'm there yeah. for you mm-hmm. and both in the end chose to terminate their pregnancies mm-hmm. on one it was a very difficult mm-hmm. psychologically and emotionally yeah. I'd say because of her circumstances on the other somewhat less so. But I think of, of, of a lot of my pro-life friends and I think they've never, and that for me was like, that, those were baby steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to walk with two women yeah. for a matter of, of weeks mm-hmm. is not a lot of time in the grand scheme of things. I'm not right. an expert on this issue. I, I couldn't write a book about this issue, yeah. but I know a lot of pro-life people and, and maybe in some ways pro-choice people who haven't taken the time to yeah. walk with Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, they just naturally assume that somebody is bigoted or misogynist right. or, you right. know, you, you, you rush to this extreme. And that's not been my experience of Christians either. Yeah. Yeah. And I've walked, I, I've, I, I've tried to walk and listen a fair amount to both sides and the characters don't hold up. No. They don't hold they up don't on either really. side. They don't. And I want to talk about that, but also want to respond. And I'm guessing, and you can speak to this too. Denise yeah. is the social worker. I'm just an observer. <laughs> it's your posture. That's, I think, why they came to you. Mm. So it's a terrifying thing often for a woman to disclose this. She doesn't disclose it lightly or to people she doesn't trust. So that Mm -hmm. says a lot about you and your relationship with them that they felt like you would be safe to come and talk to because you ask questions and you have empathy and you try to see it from where she's coming at. And that that's what we want to see more Christians be able to do because the status statistic for us is that almost half of women who have abortions are churchgoers at the time. Mm -hmm. But very few. It's yeah. like less than 10% talk to anybody at church about it. So it's not baby steps what you did. Actually, mm-hmm. what you did is huge. Yeah. And if more Christians yeah. could be there walking alongside, yeah. what and a difference it Yeah, and make. I would say to add to that, they obviously knew that even though you would grapple and you would be honest and you would walk alongside them, it wasn't, there was no, not going to be judgment and shame attached mm-hmm. to that journey. Mm-hmm. And so you were safe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and again, as Angie said, that's that's what we want the church to be. We're not called to douse judgment and shame on people. Mm-hmm. Christ has never called us to do that, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. Speak to this. I liked where you said too about we don't talk to each other. Not only are we maybe not asking a woman what it's like, but we're not talking to each other. We have stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even yeah, that's the very right. words, and I'd love you to speak because I know you do so much study on words, but even the very word, right? Like, what's the opposite of pro life? Pro death? 
Yeah. And what's the opposite of pro-choice? Anti-choice? Like we don't yes. even, we speak at each other. Even the terms themselves don't line up. Well, the terms are marketing terms. Uh, they work, they're, they're not particularly precise, mm, but they're right. effective okay. because yeah. the, who wants, who doesn't want cho- choices is a, is a positive right. in a culture right. like ours. Right. So who wouldn't want the, it's empowering. Right. Who wants to be disempowered? Who right. wants to not have the ability to, to make a decision for themselves right. in the same way? Like who hates life? Right. <laughs> who right. wants, right. Who's just, you know, I have never met a pro-choice person who sees a baby born and just goes, gosh, what a tragedy. Yeah. Right. You know, and um, yet that's the stereotype right. that is the stereotype. so many Christians have right. possibly. Yeah. And, and I think, I think they're, they're marketing terms. They're uh-huh. not, they're not, they're not completely precise. They're effective politically. They're right. effective in, in, in terms of creating a certain kind of narrative yeah. or a feeling yeah. mm-hmm. because so much of, of language is about how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was my Angelou said like, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you yeah. made them feel. Yes. And so it's not the words you use it's how those words impact somebody emotionally and yeah. so there are a lot of people out there who who have have a lot of emotion wrapped up in this mm-hmm. without having humanity yeah. wrapped up in it and that mm. I think that changes things when you have when it ceases to be a, a fight mm. uh, uh, of a faceless agenda yeah. and now you're having a conversation with a friend yeah. it's totally different mm-hmm. And you see that um, on LGBT issues, you see that on race issues, you see that on um, uh, women in leadership, that one of the highest predictors of how someone will interact with those issues is not where they live geographically, it's not how that what box they check politically, it's not uh, what their religious affiliation is, it's whether they can answer the question, do you have a close friend or relative who is fill in the blank. That is the number one statistical predictor of where somebody lands and how they, how they respond to those issues. And so, you know, when people then say to me, they have a really strong position. I, the first question I want to know is have they walked with people Mm -hmm. who have been in those situations? Because if not, it does not mean you, you are disqualified from having an opinion. But it does mean that I think you're disqualified from having me listen to your opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's different. I, I yeah. want I want to know people who put their money where their mouth yeah. is, where their view doesn't just matter once every four years yeah. on some day in November. Yeah. But you're walking this out um, in real time with people who who are embodied human beings who have very complex lives and deep emotions and hard decisions to make. And and a lot of folks, I think, that, that have these conversations on both sides, right. frankly, right. have not done yeah. that. I mean, right. I, I live yeah. in New York City. I have people here all the time. The, the things that they believe about Christians, mm. it's like, have you met yeah. someone? Right. You know, they, they, they see someone on, on maybe Fox News or whatever, yeah. and they have a particular view of Fox News, and so yeah. now they're view of Fox News bleeds over to everybody who shows up on Fox News and that yeah. person represents the whole spectrum of Christians and right. they use the word Christians they even use it like it's monolithic and I travel all over this country and I whenever somebody talks about Christians I have to say what type of Christian mm-hmm. are you talking, talking about, about? Yes. Exactly. because right. there are as many Christians right. as there are churches yeah. right. and and so this 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 kind of 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 lazy interaction mm. with these issues is, mm. is not helpful. Yeah. So I, lo- I love the way you talk about, say it again, you said it's putting aside the emotions and seeing the humanity. Mm-hmm. And isn't that in all the Jesus stories, 
what he did, right? There was a certain expected response people would have from him interacting with, you know, Zacchaeus or the woman who was anointing him with oil. Or, and he always did something different. And I've always wondered, you know, how did he know to do something different? Was he listening to the Father and getting insight? Or was he observing the humanity of the moment and just speaking into what they needed. And I don't know that I have an answer for that, but yeah. that's what I'd love to see us yeah. model more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because he, I think part of the issue people have with Christians or evangelical Christians, if I don't even know if I, if we use that word anymore, cause again, that very word means certain things, yeah. but they expect us to be predictable. Right. Mm -hmm. And they can say, I can tell you what your response to issue XYZ is going to be because we haven't had that humanity. But Jesus was so different. Like he kept people on their toes. He was so unpredictable because he was seeing the humanity. Mm -hmm. And often in those stories, he was bringing the emotional temperature down when they mm -hmm. were trying to stone mm -hmm. someone. Or, and I don't know if you've seen that work in your conversations, because it sounds like from reading your books, you've had a lot of these conversations. What have you seen work to bring the emotional temperature down and be able to just interact from a human, a humanity perspective. Well, one, one thing, and I think this is, it's non-gendered, is, is you begin with questions. Mm -hmm. Questions are crowbars. Mm -hmm. Questions will yes. pry people open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can meet someone who, ha who is just despises Christianity, mm -hmm. who despises the church, yeah. and I'll just pelt them with questions. And it doesn't take long just about anyone, I don't know any time this hasn't worked, that over time they start to open up and they start to see that you care about them and their story and yeah. you want to listen to them and people love to talk about themselves right, in general. Right, we all do, right. And if, when you begin to be, when, when someone feels seen and heard yeah. and, and, and they feel seen and heard by someone in particular that they're not, they don't have a predispos predisposition toward that person, toward liking that person, yeah. toward wanting to have a conversation with that person. It's disarming. Yeah. And I think there are too many people now who just want to win a debate. Yeah. Yes. Isn't and that true? That's not what Jesus no. did. He didn't and, do that. And uh, so in our attempt uh, to really bring this before the church and open up these conversations and and, and try to do this differently. We are challenging people to relook at the words that we've used, like pro-life and, and pro-choice, and, and really asking them if they're willing to kind of set those aside and come up with um, some new language around this so that there's not an automatic barrier that comes in before you even start to get to know somebody. Oh, I'm a pro-life Christian. I want to talk to you. Da -da -da. I mean you know, a wall goes up. So, and I know you're a, you're a linguist, you're a wordsmith, you're, so speak to us on, on that. Of, of, is that even possible? Is that a good direction to go in your opinion? And, and what, what have you seen um, work in terms of changing our language around things? You know, I think sometimes there, um, this is very juvenile, but it's also very effective. I remember growing up, and uh, I think I was probably in kindergarten. And there were three questions that were on the wall. Um, is it true? Is it kind? Hmm. I mean, these are, right, these are, is it, is it necessary? Mm -hmm. These are big questions yeah. that I think it can be true and it's not kind. Right. Right. And it can be true and it's not necessary. Yeah. Right. And there are so many people today who they're, they're, 
when they're Christians, they have one question for whether or not something can and should be said, can and should come out of their mouth, and it's just, is it true? Mm. Now, what's interesting is, is oftentimes the truth tellers, the people who are most gifted and adept at telling you the unvarnished, undiluted truth, are often the people who are least able to receive mm. the true and unvar- mm. the, the, the unvarnished, undiluted truth mm. in their own life. Yeah. And so I think there's a kind of, um, there's an egocentric approach that just says, is this true or is it not true? And if it's true, well, then if it's true, then I should be able to say it. And I should be able to say it to you and I should be able to say it to you at any time and in any way because if it's true, then you just need to hear it. Yeah. And people will often then go, well, you know, I'm speaking the truth in love. <laughs> and that just means I've been very rude, <laughs> but I've used a really kind tone of voice. That tends to be what yeah, that means. Right. And so um, I think that we, we have to begin asking not just whether a word is precise, mm. but whether speaking that word to that human is loving. Mm, and there is a lot of, you know, people will say, do you think abortion is a sin? They'll mm. ask that question. And they've already dropped like a radioactive isotope <laughs> right. into yeah, right, right, right. the middle of the table. Right. And I am not all that interested in, in using that word, even if that word is, is true, because I think that, that kind of mm-hmm. word becomes a toxic, yeah, yeah. it becomes unloving. So it's not only is it unloving, then it becomes ineffective. Yeah, right, right. You've said it, for what end? Yeah. Right. Because it's not moving you closer to anywhere that you want to go or yeah. anywhere closer to where they want to go. Right. So I think that having conversations about sinfulness with a person who is in the middle of that situation is not helpful. So I think that we have to, in emotionally charged situations where people are, are at stake yeah. um, and they're at risk, I think that we have to be that that love has to to trump precision, mm. uh, theological precision. Um, you know, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor down in Atlanta, has this phrase where he says, "You are more important than my view." Mm, and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, if if my view is clarified at the expense of my relationship with you mm, that's good. Uh, or if your emotional health or well-being of your own sense of safety, then I've really messed up. Yeah. And, and I think that oftentimes when it comes to abortion, I, you know, people love to live in binaries. Yeah. Why good, we? bad, black, white, cowboys, Indians, whatever it is, they <laughs> right. divide the world in these two right. halves because it's easy. Yeah. Because if I can get the world into two two halves, then and I'm all, on the good side. That's right. Then all I have to do is yeah. say, "Well, I'm going to be on this side, and you're going to be on that side." Right. And so it's very easy then to tell you what to do. You just have to cross over and be like me, think like me, right. make a decision like I would make a decision. And what I find is, particularly in situations like this, you're making decisions. You're you're asked to choose between two imperfects. Right. Mm. It's not, it's not that this is a good decision and this is a bad decision. We might say this is a better decision, mm-hmm. but this is not. The other decision is not a bad decision. There's a lot of good wrapped up in sure. there. Right. There's a lot of, there's, there's, a, there's a desire to, 
to be free. There's a there's a, there's a lot of pain you're averting. Sure. There's there's both have measures of good and bad mixed into them. They're both imperfect decisions right. because we because there were also imperfect decisions that were made exactly. before this imperfect because decision. Because we live in this imperfect yeah. world, and that's right. None of us have it all. Together but you're right. Now. People do not want to live in that gray. Mm-mm. It's it's challenges us. It challenges our own, you know, brokenness, Mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But yet, I I do believe it's where Jesus has called us to be. Mm -hmm. So with that, I want to go back to this. It's true. Because, um, and I think it's Graham Cook, who I listen to. I don't know if you're familiar with him. uh, California, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like Graham Cook. Love him. And he says, something can be true, but not the truth. So I want to... Even with what you're saying about love and everything, so like let's look at let's look at a Bible story. Okay, so the woman who anoints Jesus with that full thing of perfume, it was true that she was a sinful woman who was touching him, you know. And as a rabbi, he should have been offended. Like that was true in their culture, but that wasn't the truth of who Jesus said she was. Right? Mm-hmm. He's like, she's done this beautiful thing for me. Wherever the gospels preach, she's going to be talked about. So I want to wrestle with that in this issue and others. We can say something that's true. Like, it's true that I was really crabby today. I mean, I could even use a bad word. That was, that's how very bad I was. true. <laughs> but it's not I, awful. But it's not the truth that no. I am a bad person. Do you, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Yes. yes. Some of you have thoughts on that. But even as you were talking, because I can see where some Christians just, I, I agree with you about loving first, but I can see how they'd go back to the Bible and be like, no, there's the truth that's the mm-hmm. word of God that stands. So that's why I'd like to take it back to Jesus and this idea that there can be a lot of things that are true, but what's the truth, mm-hmm. the main truth that God is putting mm-hmm. forth in that moment? Because mm-hmm. now I'm not debating truth. I'm actually asking for a higher one. Because mm-hmm. all of us can spout out lots of bad things we see about each other that are true. Mm-hmm. But is that really the truth? Yeah, and I and and a way you might think about this that's kind of getting at what you're getting at is there's been this turn, you know, we all live in kind of a post-enlightenment, rationalistic, post-scientific age. And in that age, there's been a conflation of truth and fact. Okay, explain right? conflation. So, this is, uh, conflation. They're the like, same. Like they became the same. They become the same thing. Oh, right? this is good. So, so the question is, 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 is if you go, is it true? What you're really asking is, is it is factual? It fact? Okay. So in that case, is it factual that this woman was sinful, that she touched this person, uh-huh. that it, she was being extravagant, that she wasted money, that she, those are facts. Right. But there's a truth yes. that's deeper than that, right? Yes. Um, it, it, it it's a truth is something that that's not just factual. A great example, um, and of course, ancients knew this. And when, you're a mystic, so right? That's so why you know this. So yes. if you think of of Aesop, was a great steward of truth. Yes. But he wasn't great with facts, right? Like <laughs> right, um, gotta... the tortoise and the hare. There, the, that is not, there's not, that's not factual. Yeah. It is a factual. There was yeah. not really a rabbit who at any time beat a tortoise in a race, but it's deeply true. The tortoise beat the rabbit, didn't he? The tortoise beat the <laughs> rabbit. Thank you. Neither, yes. neither one would ne- be factual. Neither, factual. neither is factual. <laughs> but there's a deep truth yes. uh, beneath that, right? And so there's the truth behind the truth or the truth behind the facts. Yes. Um, and most people are not willing to go that deep. They just want to know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this, is this factual or is it not? Right. And then what happens is, is we curate facts Ignoring the truth, not seeking out the deepest yes, truth, yeah. 
we we curate facts and piece those facts together into narratives mm-hmm. the narratives that we hope are true and we live according to those narratives yes and so yeah you can piece you give me a set of facts yeah and I can piece that together into a wonderful story and then I can rearrange it into right. another story and those two stories are mutually exclusive. Well, and that's what makes me mad about I'm just speaking the truth in love. It's like, but the the truth is that God is love and he's, you know what I'm saying? He's, mm-hmm. There's higher truth. So that stuff is used to mask yeah. calling. We live in a call out culture, calling people out. I think yes. legalism too. And it ignores and nullifies the grace of God and this bigger vision that he has of us. And what he's calling us to. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad yeah. you I'm glad you talked about that. We've confused fact with truth. I'm well, gonna remember that because this really triggers evangelical Christians. Yeah. It does. I mean, we've really accepted that if anything's true, I just have the yes. freedom to say it or mm-hmm. but well, it's, if, it's you, just a fact. if you if if you are telling a story about a woman who's had an unplanned pregnancy and your friend uh, draws a conclusion right off the bat. Um, then you can ask a series of questions about the facts. What are the facts that matter to you, right? Um, they, would, they would say, well, one fact would be, is this, is this a baby or is it a fetus? That's, there's a right. fact there, right? right? Is how we classify a right. classification of the life inside the mother. There's a fact about when life begins. Right. There's a fact about uh, moral culpability or ethics, or there's all these facts, right? There's a fact about whether whether or not certain cases are acceptable to terminate mm-hmm. or not. There are all these facts. And then you ask questions about what facts don't matter to that person. What are the questions they're not asking? Because there is also facts about this woman is also a life. Right. Mm-hmm. And and life means that you have agency. Right. And what where what are the limits of agency? Right. And they're not worried about those facts. Right. They're they're gathering facts to create yeah. selectively gathering facts. And by the right. way, we all do it. Yeah. I was gonna say but there's both question, sides do it. It's yeah. not a whether or not we are selectively gathering facts to spin a story. The question we should be asking is, why are you choosing the facts you're choosing? And why are you ignoring the facts you're ignoring? Why is that? Most people don't want to have that conversation because then it doesn't become about the issue. It becomes about me. It becomes about my ego. It becomes about my stance. It becomes about the way that I was trained to to think of my, because if I hold this view, I'm good and not bad. I'm righteous and not unrighteous. And so you begin to kind of unwrap Mm -hmm. the issues around the ego. They're all wrapped around the, the ego. And when you begin to ask people, I think, why certain facts matter to them and others do not, then you really get to the heart of the matter. And when you force someone, which I think is, is part of what you're doing with this pro-grace movement. We don't force anyone. Yeah, yeah. Not it's forcing. pro-grace, yes. what you're, what yes. you are, <laughs> We open up, yes. dialogue. What you're inviting people <laughs> to do Thank you. is you're inviting people to do the uncomfortable thing which is to hold both sets of facts in their hands yeah. at the same yeah. time and sit with that. Yeah. And that is not comfortable. It's mm-hmm. not easy. And most people, I hate to tell you, are not interested in doing it. Mm-hmm. There are a select number of people who are willing to do it. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is the future of this debate. Mm-hmm. But n- most people, they're not, they're not mm-hmm. interested in living in that tension. Mm-hmm. Most people just want their talking points. They want to you know, yell at other people on Facebook. And that's the reason I think that this debate has become so frustrating for so many people. But speak to that in terms of our, our, you know, our Christianity and and what Christ has called us to do. And you say, you know, when you say people, 
talk about Christians, I mean... Shouldn't churches be the place I mean, where we can have yeah. this wrestling? Mm-hmm. There's a disconnect there mm-hmm. in, in, in what you're saying in terms of, of, of what I think yes. we are to, to be as followers of Christ. So You know, I often think about... Um, Jesus did this uh, many times when people came with him, came to him with the binaries. Yes, they um, so always, they would yes. say like, um, "Who sinned, yeah, this or, man yeah, or his parents?" Or and Jesus would would say something else, or right. he'd tell a story, right? Or they would say, um, "So, the adulterous woman in the Gospel of yeah. Mark, right? So, do we stone her yeah. and uphold the law, or do we not stone her yeah. and disobey the law?" Yeah. So it's. Okay, it's an easy thing, Jesus. Obey the law, disobey the law. Yeah. Stone her, not stone her. And it says they were trying to trap him. Very I mean, it's easy. right there, yeah. And Jesus says something totally different. I know. He carves out it. a third way. I love it. Um, you know, yes. should I, so is this is this God's coin or is this Caesar's coin? And he just says, you want to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and God's yeah. what's God's. Should I pay the tax he or not pay the tax? He actually starts with a question, right? Whose face is, I mean, he's brilliant. Right. Brilliant. So I, I often think that we do ourselves and the people who are most intimately involved with these issues a disservice by failing to embrace all of the nuance of this. Yes. And I don't think mm. that that is something that you see modeled. Mm. It's not, it certainly wouldn't make sense to a first century rabbi. Mm. In what way? They well, would've... a first century rabbi, the, you know, the, one of the rabbinical traditions was you answer a question with a question. Oh, so mm. Jesus was... He, he was very much in this sort of rabbinical oh, tradition of, of and in fact, the rabbis would say that God is in the wrestling, yeah. that God is not in the, in the answer, just God is not just in the answer. God's also in the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. And that when you, when you have the courage to wrestle with something, to mm. see other sides of something, yeah. that that's actually divine, that God uh, shows up in the wrestling. And yeah. of course the, there's that great story in the Bible of uh, Jacob and the angels. Some yeah. would say it was a manifestation of God and he wrestles with the angel all night. Mm-hmm. But this picture of wrestling with divinity mm-hmm. and taking the time to do it, yeah. right? It's not like yeah. it's over. Right. He wrestles all night. Yeah. And what happens there, you know, it says, and it's a very sort of mystical story. He has a limp all of yes, his life. The, the point is, if you're willing to wrestle mm-hmm. All night long with these deeply sacred things, yeah. it will change you and yeah. you will bear the marks of that effort yeah. the rest of your life. And what you're that saying is, is so that God is, is calling us in our relationship with him to go ahead and wrestle. Yeah. Like that's part of how he's going to transform us more into his likeness like we're, we're supposed to. That's right. Not just boom. Say this is the answer. That's, That's right. good. I like that. I'm hey. having an epiphany because I grew up very legalistically, uh-huh. and I hated that story. Uh-huh. And now just hearing you talk about it and the journey I've been in with, yeah. I, it's beautiful the way yeah. you just described it. But you know, it's if you beautiful. think in, in any, take this issue off the table, take any other issue sure. in your life, theological, yeah. political, personal, issues with your children, things, conundrums that have arisen throughout your life. Uh-huh. And when you think about the issues that you really took time and you, you got face-to-face with people, and you dove deep, and you dug deep, and you really worked it out. When you came out the other side, you were yourself 2.0. You're right. You were Different. not the person that nope. started that process. Nope. And that is the way, whenever we engage in yeah. these deeply difficult, yeah. difficult, yes. painful, right. sacred struggles, yeah. when we're willing to take the time, we bear the mark of that forever. Wow. And, and there's a divine process in it. I mm-hmm. like that. And the humanity of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh, I feel like I have to let it soak in. Is this what it's like to spend time with a mystic? As I, I just guess, go, I Whoa. guess, Whoa. I guess, Whoa. I guess, a Jesus loving mystic. Oh right? my I gosh, it. I, I love it. it. Yeah. Any last thoughts? Mm. But you guys, I feel like we can yeah. close on that. This I need to. Oh, really it. Thank you, Jonathan. I I forgot pleasure. to say what you do too. I was just like, yeah. this is Jonathan Merritt. Yes. You're a writer. Yes. You're a. Um, I'm an, I'm a writer. What? I'm a columnist. I'm an author. Yes, you're all those things. Um, you I'm, see, a, I'm, I'm so great friend. with language. You're a I'm friend. a seminarian. Yes, yes. Four, almost four times over. I or know. Whatever. Yes, <laughs> I know. and I'm just so thankful yeah. for all the conversations you've had and taking the time yeah. to be here. And yeah. I hope for everybody listening too, there's an encouragement to. Uh, Try to have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. this was good. See what mm -hmm. happens, yeah. So thanks, everybody, for listening in. We hope this has encouraged you to have your own conversations. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks.